Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Did you know Nissan EVs have traveled 8 billion miles? Just a quick trip to Pluto and back. And what did we learn along the way? Well, that an EV can take on the world, like the Nissan LEAF. It can move racing forward and take your breath away, like the all-new Nissan Aria. We learned to make EVs that electrify. 8 billion miles driven by LEAF owners globally since 2010. Aria not yet available for purchase. Expected availability late fall. Subject to change. Hey, this is Mick Jones of Foreigner, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcast. History in five songs. With host Martin Popoff. A production of Pantheon Podcasts. Let's rock out with Martin. Yes, indeed. Martin Popoff here back again for another episode of History and Five Songs with Martin Popoff. This is the show where I pick five examples to make some kind of point about something. Uh, We are brought to you by the good people at Pantheon Podcasts. We're part of a vast and always expanding Pantheon Podcast Network, available on Spotify, iTunes, Megaphone, 40 other podcast platforms. All right. this is one that really does feel like a good historical episode, uh, you know, a- along the lines of a lot of them where I'm trying to fill in gaps of a history of something. Um, this is episode 116. I'm going to be calling this Recording Badly on Purpose. Uh, the other cool thing about this episode it's, is it's one of these that I thought... I can't believe I haven't done this before because this is always a point I, you know, elliptically make time time and time again when I'm talking about certain bands. Um you know, certain cool qualities that they have. Um, so yeah, so this is going to be about uh, bands that um, were so brave as to use the recording process um, as, a, as a tool itself to, uh, to uh, emit or evoke uh, the personality of the band. And they literally um, did not go for the best sounding thing that they could have done uh, at the time. Um, so again, there's sort of a sort of a bravery towards uh, using the studio as an artistic thing, um, but um, but but not just trying to say I, I want the most high fidelity thing going. Now, uh, an interesting thing about this. So obviously, we you know we generally uh, tend to. Uh, to talk about hard rock and heavy metal here and and this is actually going to be one of those episodes again but it's funny that um this idea of recording badly on purpose which is how i always put it uh it's for, for hard rock and heavy metal it's a little different than um this this whole treatise that can go down the line of the idea of lo-fi 
and uh, down another line of noise rock. Those are kind of like two different things um, that don't really apply to the bands that we're going to talk about here. Sure, there's some overlap, but there's uh, but there's quite a bit of difference. Most of the examples that you hear uh, when you talk about lo-fi bands or noise rock bands, lo-fi usually leans towards um, you know many bands, many vibrant bands, many bands throughout many generations, uh, but all kind of falling into that uh alternative rock sort of end of things noise rock is a little more of an artistic thing and, and it can be it can be very noisy and egregious and abstract to the point of uh, almost being like performance art i would say at some time so noise rock has a little bit more of that arty arty um you know highfalutin kind of thing and and lo-fi goes a little bit towards alternative rock maybe these terms will come up again as i talk about these i don't know uh but anyways um let's play our first one and discuss uh take a listen to this this is the stooges with 1970 <laughs> Right, so the idea here is that I'm, I'm going to go chronological. Um, I, I considered I considered picking Velvet Underground for the first one I wanted to put in here, and there there indeed could be a few garage rock acts that I could have uh, used as well. And then you know there is the idea that maybe 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 uh, you could compartmentalize a little bit and uh, and talk about the first uses of distortion or feedback. But I wanted to go for like a like a complete studio experience here rather than um, you know just just recording you know Dave Davies or Link Ray or whatever you know the apocryphal uh, switchblade knife or or, uh, or just busted cone you know to create distortion blah 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 distortion pedals feedback feedback, uh, you know, screaming. Um, there are all these things that might be, you know, quote unquote, recording badly on purpose. Um, but no, I, I wanted to talk about this in a specific way uh, because it, it leads up to some significant things in, in heavy metal history. So so I wanted to pick the Stooges to, uh, to make a couple of points. Um, MC5 didn't do this. Um, you know, essentially MC5 recorded a live album that they're trying to do as good a job as possible. They recorded, they recorded a second studio album in back in the USA where there is a little bit of this idea. They wanted to really strip down and record like a garage band. So I could have picked back in the USA, definitely not high time. Uh, and just to kind of finish off in this, in this realm, I don't think the New York Dolls ever did this sort of thing. I mean, this is a few years later, but the Stooges most definitely. And the funny thing about the Stooges is that on their first album, which is produced by John Cale, I don't think they did try to record badly on purpose. But when it comes to the second album, Funhouse, and certainly also the third album, Raw Power, so we've got a 1970 album and then all the way up to a 1973 album on a different label. Um, but I wanted to pick something from Funhouse because I definitely, definitely believe that you do get the band trying to sound raw and dirty and slumming it on purpose, which is, again, kind of a brave thing to do because, you know, back then uh, with studio technology not being great, I think in 90... 
98% of the cases, bands were actually trying to sound as good as possible. And that's the whole point about this episode called Recording Badly on Purpose. So I think on Funhouse, uh, you get the band working with Don Gallucci, um, but really it's the band and uh, where's the engineer here? Brian Ross Myring as well, the recording Electrosound uh, um, in L.A., but... Uh, essentially, it's a, it's a much more extreme version of the band than you even get on the debut. Um, 1970 kind of proves that. They, they go for rough and raw performances. They go for really, really dirty, distorted, uh, you know, pre-grunge, grungy guitar sounds. There's even something on here called L.A. Blues, which is just an exploded kind of John Coltrane jam, which really kind of blows things up. But down on the street, soon as this, song, so this uh, album kicks in, you really hear... Uh, really crappy drums uh really kind of urgent street level drums so this is a really really um rough and raw album compared to the first one the other reason i wanted to bring this uh this in uh, this example up is that it reminds me a little bit of van halen in that van halen's best sounding record is actually their first album and then after that, they uh, they they go a little wild and loose on Van Halen too, and certainly into you know Women and Children First and Fair Warning. Um, they they kind of discover this personality, and part of this personality of Van Halen is they want uh, this this pretty distorted, rough, crazy sound and performance. Uh, you could call it the Brown sound, but I guess what I'm talking about here in terms of the recording badly on purpose. 20% of the brown sound, right, um, is this idea of uh, of being rough and wild and not nearly as perfectly high fidelity as they are on the debut. So I've often said this, I think the first Van Halen album is the most professional recording they ever made in terms of performance, production, even in terms of trying super hard on the songs. Um, so so basically Van Halen threw, threw everything they could professionally uh, and tried really, really, really hard on the first album, and then they got loose. Uh, and uh, and to speak of loose, you know, we've we've got a song actually I almost picked <laughs> off of this album called Loose. Uh, but yeah, it's got TVI, it's got dirt. Um, it's definitely a very dirty album. And then and then again, um, you know, they they even stuck it right in the title, didn't they? On the third album, it's called Raw Power. Um, so it's not called powerful power. It's it's not called impressive power. It's not called high fidelity power. It's called raw power, and uh, and that's absolutely what you get on this. You know, people at the time definitely talked about it as being atrociously recorded. Um, you know, David Bowie famously did this mix on it, um, but didn't really improve it. Um, they didn't really know what they were doing in the studio. I've talked to Ron and Scott about it. It's pretty funny, but they they you know it's it's essentially self produced, but it's. It's uh, you know almost as raw as uh, as Funhouse is you know three three and a half whatever it is years later 1973 this thing came out um, and is recorded in the UK um, but absolutely when you listen to this album this is why this album is notorious right I mean this is one of the reasons anyways it's it's pretty heavy and it's got Iggy this extreme frontman but um, it's notorious because uh, it's it's so dirty and raw on purpose. Where, whereas, you know, in the same year, Pink Floyd did Dark Side of the Moon. You, I, you've probably often heard me say many times that Dark Side of the Moon is the first perfectly recorded album. After that, uh, after that, you could say that um, that every every uh, production choice 
uh, that that bands could make are actually choices. Uh, let let's just say, like hypothetically, if everybody could do what they could on Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, moving forward, uh, everything would be a choice. Obviously, you know, budgets and and etc. and other recording badly on purpose things. Um, well, that is a choice, but obviously there are limitations moving forward in rock. But all I'm saying is that you literally can't get a more perfect sounding album than Dark Side of the Moon. And and in our world, uh, probably the best sounding album. Well, there's been a few by that point, but the Montrose album, exactly the same year in 1973, uh, you could say is a perfect sounding heavy metal record. Um, and I would I would argue that things like Your Eye Heap, Look at Yourself. Uh, are a perfect sounding heavy metal record. And that's going back to 1971, right? Um, so there you go. Um, that's, that's, our, uh, that's our first example. Um, let's move on. Uh, take a listen to this. Our second example here on episode 116, recording badly on purpose, is Motorhead with Damage Case. Hey, babe, don't so scared. All right, so this comes out March 24th, 1979. I wanted to pick something from the second Motorhead album because I really wonder how much of the first album is recording badly on purpose. Uh, obviously, you know the crazy story. They're all hopped up on speed. Um, they, they record the album essentially through through a, you know, a, a raving all-night session. They were sent in to just do, you know, by Ted Carroll. He he wanted them to do a single, but they they went in and said, oh, let's just do a whole album sort of thing. So there's, there's a a little spontaneity uh, to the first album. It certainly is a notorious recorded badly semi on purpose album because obviously they still had this this purpose that they that they had within the band, this identity of Lemmy with his really extreme bass sound. You're going to notice that with a lot of these choices, um, that that a lot of uh, the signal, the antenna goes up from the bass sound. Um, but I wanted to pick the second album to prove that the first album ain't no fluke in a way, right? Um, so they get to the second album. They're now on bronze. They've got a, a, got a spiffy, beautiful Joe Patagno album cover. Um, they're recording with Jimmy Miller from the Rolling Stones, from some classic Rolling Stones albums. So you know, you know that there, there, there's some major, major purpose to this record sounding so brutal and dirty and powerful, well, powerful in a certain way, um, but also kind of sizzling and trebly and distorted. Um, you know there's some purpose there because it certainly doesn't sound like Exile on Main Street, does it? Um, Jimmy Miller famously, unfortunately... You know, he died in 1994 at the age of 52. He was a notorious uh, heroin addict. And, uh, you know, Lemmy would tell the, tell the stories kind of laughing. They'd, they'd find him, you know, knotted out in the, in the women's toilet and all this stuff. And, and Lemmy, you know, he's, he's written songs about, about you know anti-heroin there's even on here stay clean uh but you know when you would interview lemmy over the years you know he'd, he'd often like really put down heroin say too many died too many people i know died from heroin and he was very anti slow drugs he liked his drugs fast right um but um 
But the cool thing about this is that Motorhead are absolutely one of the key, key bands in this idea of recording badly on purpose. All through their history, moving forward through the decades, they retain some element of this brutal, brutal, uh, trebly, buzzsaw, lemmy bass sound, although the recordings, um, you know, through time varied quite a lot and got better and got worse and got better and all that kind of thing. But I think you get the key, key quintessential recording badly on purpose motorhead sound on overkill, uh, on ace of spades on bomber, I guess, to some extent as well, you know, bombers always the one put down as being a little too clean, maybe, uh, certainly on the live album, no sleep till hammersmith. And even on, uh, we just did a, a contrarians episode on my favorite motorhead album. I called it another perfect day. Um, and, um, you know, even even that, even though Robbo is in the band, uh, you know, at at the at the drum end, uh, you know, even though Tony Platt produced it, there's still this element that obviously they are doing certain things on purpose to sound a certain way, and uh, and I I think again there's there's a bravery to that. Uh, Motorhead could have gone in and done Overkill and said, you know, give give me a give me the sound of Van Halen one, give me the sound of uh, Judas Priest stained class, <laughs> you know, uh, but no, they, they said, give us this sound. Uh, and everybody sounds like absolutely harried and speeded up and, uh, you know, you know, drunk and hung over at the same time and, uh, and, and belligerent and aggressive. And, and that's what gives the album uh, so ma so much magic. Um, and the other really amazing thing about this, I mean, I, I did an episode of history and five songs on uh, the motorhead family and, the Motorhead family really is uh, a lot of it has to do this with this recording badly on purpose thing. Girl school a little bit, not as much, uh, but certainly tank. Uh, Tank's got the Motorhead sound, and even more egregiously, Warfare uh, has this sound, and uh, that's that's kind of comes into some other things. But J Jimmy Miller, no, I mean the Stones, Spencer Davis Group, Traffic, Blind Faith, right? <laughs> we, you know, this does not sound like the Blind Faith album, does it? Um, okay, so so moving on. Actually, let's take a short break, and uh, and we'll be right back. All right, moving on here on History and Five Songs uh, with Martin Popoff, episode 116, recording badly on purpose. Um, Take a listen to this one and we'll discuss. This is The Damned with Liar. All right, The Damned, Machine Gun Etiquette, their third album, or their first album, if you want to uh, talk about the fact that The Damned already broke up and they reformed. So this is the first album of the reformed Damned, maybe, um, but whatever. Uh, it is their third album. Uh, I wanted to pick this because I went through a lot of the punk bands, and you would think, uh, punk, oh yeah, they gotta have a whole bunch of recorded badly on purpose. I honestly don't think... That was really the case with most of the punk bands. Uh, I think I think uh, most of the the gritty sound of uh, of any of the punk albums that sounded gritty, which are granted most of them, uh, come from low budgets and and the bands really not wanting to sound like that, but they did sound like that. Um, 
I, I'm not going to go through them all, but um, but the point with the damned, uh, I wanted to pick the damned for for a few reasons to prove that they were recording badly on purpose. Um, they put out their first album, uh, you know, widely known as the first uh, first punk album to come out uh, from a UK band, Damn, Damn, Damned, produced by Nick Lowe. But it's really anti-produced by Nick Lowe. It is really crazy and and hopped up and weird. Uh and recorded badly on purpose sounding uh, with, uh, you know, and this one comes up almost from the uh, the drums more than anything because cause so often Rat Scabies, literally, you, you can barely even hear the bass drum in it. It is so much about the cymbals and the snare and just this frenzied, frenzied en- energy, you know, knocking off the bottom frequencies. Uh, the other funny thing is, um, you know, you listen to it, the guitars are not particularly distorted. Uh, and in a way, that is a form of recording badly on purpose for a punk band because it's it's almost like not putting much on the guitars and taking even some of the some of the um attention away from the guitars um but the point i guess i wanted to make about the debut uh is that they loved the production of the debut so so that proves that they they love this idea of being lo-fi and noisy um i.e recording badly on purpose and the other thing that proves that point is that when they went to the second album, Music for Pleasure, um, they got Nick Mason from Pink Floyd to produce it. And I think it sounds great, um, It, but it's still, it's still fairly rough and raw and dirty in the performances, but they thought it sounded too clean. So there's your second clue. Now, when you get to the one we just played, Liar, um, good heavy song off of Machine Gun Etiquette, um, they're back to a really crazy, gnarly... Um, bass sound um and really aggressive drums but the bass comes from algae ward uh who would move on to tank right so he's he's gonna he's gonna carry this motorhead ethic from from you know i i you know i i guess it's from himself first of all but he's gonna carry this into into tank uh, which is gonna sound kind of like a combination of motorhead and the damned certainly from the bass end of things um but you hear this when right when the album kicks off with Love Song and they and they break into it and, and you can hear crazy, crazy guitars and drums and everything. So the point is, is that three records in, The Damned could be much more f- professional than they, they are in terms of sonic quality, but they turn in, uh, you know, probably their second noisiest, craziest recorded badly on purpose album uh, of their entire catalog. Um but it's three records in and they loved it and and the fans loved it. That's the other crazy thing about Machine Gun Etiquette. It, it is considered one of the greatest damned albums, uh, like a lot of people's favorite. And it is really, really kind of rough and brutal. Um, but I but I certainly believe, um, you know, it, it proves three times through in the remarks of the band across these three records uh, that they did like to record badly on purpose. Um all right, uh, let's uh, and uh, yeah, just just to mention, yeah, it's it's produced uh, by by um, Roger Armstrong, so not not a super famous guy. Just like we had Don Gallucci before, not a super famous guy, but yeah, it's funny when when you think of John Cale producing the first Stooges, right? Uh, which again gives you that throughput from uh, from Velvet Underground there. All right, uh, let's move on here. This is our fourth example. Take a listen to this. This is Gillen with Hadley Bop Bop.
All right, so this is Gillen's, uh, what is it, fifth album? Let's see, one, two, three, something like that. Uh, so this is off of Double Trouble. We just did a Contrarians episode on Gillen Double Trouble because I did pick it as my favorite um, Gillen album. So you can go over to YouTube and see that. This is our YouTube video and audio show, right? So it's our YouTube channel, the Contrarians. Um, but I wanted to pick this. So this comes out October 1st, 1981. We are going chronological here. I wanted to pick this just to prove that um, recorded badly on purpose bands don't all have to be like punk or biker metal or or the Stooges uh, type stuff. I, I loved the idea. And this is one of the reasons people love Gillen so much. Uh, I love the idea that a band... Uh, you know, firmly in the new wave of British heavy metal. I know that's debatable given the age of these guys and the sound. Um, but this is a this is a five piece band with a keyboardist and a guy from Deep Purple in it, right? Um, so, but they choose to record uh, with this frenzied, tight, strange, open hi hat from Mick. Um, Mick Underwood, um, really, really gnarly, gnarly bass sound from John McCoy, squalid, punky guitars. Um, you know, this is, uh, Bernie Torme is out of the band at this point. It's Yannick Gares, but it's Yannick Gares playing like Bernie Torme on this album, really. Um, so, so they love being noisy and making a racket. Now, part of this is, uh, you know, they, they they're using, uh, Ian's own studio Kingsway recordings he had kind of like a like a failed weird investment in in this whole thing um which wasn't the greatest uh the greatest studio anyways but this many records in you've got the Japanese album Mr Universe you've got Glory Road Future Shock and now this and then and then the last album is Magic um through the throughput of all these records um, you know, Future Shock's probably the best recorded of all of them, but the throughput really is that this is the punk Deep Purple. That's what I always call Gillen. They're the punk version of Deep Purple with Colin Towns, you know, doing the demented Rayman Zarek Doors thing to this band. Um, but no, this is a this is a crazy, punky, urgent take no prisoners, um, you know, drunken sounding, drunken performances, drunken recording uh, kind of band. And uh, and you've got to believe that they they wanted to do this on purpose because it's their signature sound and, and it is a sound that is a throughput from all the albums. I wanted to pick Double Trouble because... This late in their career, second second to last album, uh, is it's almost the dirtiest sounding of all of them. Um, you know, across all these songs, there are poppy songs on here. There are long epics like "Born to Kill." Um, there's a lot of keyboards, yet uh, the band sounds really nasty. Uh, throughout the entire album there's a lot of echo and reverb and noise and distortion um so so yeah i i like the idea that this is a band that otherwise if they didn't have the sound they wouldn't be the punk deep purple they'd just be a kind of a new version of deep purple um i wanted to pick a band that uh that is not that is not motorhead and show that that even uh, even bands that are are five pieces with keyboards uh could want to record badly on purpose all right our fifth example, this is Venom with Raise the Dead. Fingers bleeding, that's not bleeding. The moon's my only light. Ash to ashes, dust to dust. If God won't have me, then the devil must. We will raise the dead. All right. 
right, so this is off the second Venom album, November 1st, 1982, Black Metal. Um, you know, I wanted to pick this because it's crazy important in terms of all of these because most of these other bands, uh, the influence of them recording badly on purpose, I would say the Stooges had quite a bit of influence, but Motorhead, not so much. Um, Gillen, certainly not. There's no real influence on anything there. And The Damned, really not so much. But Venom, definitely, definitely. So this is a band, they were notorious again for recording like this and, and half of the uh, conversation and excitement and hatred and love and love and hated of Venom was because of their crazy, crazy production values. It sounded so trashy. Uh, oddly enough, this is Keith Nickel recording it at neat. You know, Keith normally has a better sound than this, but obviously, you know, Mantis, Abaddon, and Kronos wanted a the nastiest sound because, you know, I would interview these guys and they would say, we were looking for an, an alternative to REO Speedwagon and stuff like that. We, we, we wanted to be the anti-band, you know, the band, uh, what, what is the thing on the back? You know, the home taping is killing music, uh, thing. They, they said venom is killing music or whatever, something like that. Um, they had this cool little, you know, redo of that little, little graphic against home taping. Um, but in so many other ways as well, the lyrics, um, just kind of the kind of the the really rough and and lo-fi look of the album covers um so in so many ways um they really loved this recording badly on purpose idea and the really cool thing about venom in here because they're so influential in so many ways on thrash on death metal on black metal um but in this specific department, this recording thing, which they which they stuck through. I mean, eventually you get up into the primeval years, and later, you know, they they kind of they kind of moved away from this. But these early albums are all about this. Um, At war with Satan, possessed. Go back to the first one. Welcome to hell. Uh, they are the the um, the the quintessential band that that almost like took took anything enjoyable out of the production. The drums are just like heads down, meet you at the end, double bass, uh, you know, a, 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 a just a, a, a tornado of noise. Um, you know, that, that famous quote from the old days, uh, you know, uh, in, in, in a review, I think it was a Kerrang review. And then I used it a few times later, but, um, uh, th they said this, the Venom album sounds like a vacuum cleaner with drums, right? Kronos's voice is recorded super distorted and he's screaming his head off and he, you know, he sounds like the bawling baby on uh, Black Sabbath sabotage basically. Um, but uh, the cool thing about this is, is the influence, you know, quickly you have the likes of Hellhammer and Celtic Frost. Quickly again, you have Bathory. Here's your throughput leading to the lo-fi of black metal with Mayhem and Dark Throne and Emperor. Um, so this is super important because the lo-fi end of Venom is, is what creates one of the trademark sounds of a huge, huge subgenre of metal called black metal, right? Um, so there you go. Those are five examples, all kind of doing different things, all with different importance levels. Um, honorary mentions, honorable mentions. I almost put the Rolling Stones in here for kind of a late 70s feel of uh, of being stripped down and not having too many effects and, and not being too too crazy about, you know, getting perfect sounds or performances. Uh, arguable one. I didn't want to go too late, so I left out things like some of the grungy things, you know, Jack and Dino, Nirvana Bleach, um, Melvin's, but a lot of those albums also also didn't record badly on purpose. There's a lot of good sounding albums from the grunge era. Um, you know, going down another tack, I thought about Joy Division. You put them in here because they're going for the stripped down minimalist version of this, but not particularly the hard rock version. Um, 
Perubu from Cleveland, I thought kind of fits because they fit in that noisy industrial end of things. Um, you know, isolated albums here and there. Neil Young, Reactor, uh, Russ Never Sleeps, Notorious, Notorious, Recording Badly on Purpose albums and Guy, right? People talked about this. Oh, he's the heaviest guy in the world. You know, because he had that crazy, crazy distorted guitar sound he decided to do for five minutes, right? Um Dinosaur Jr., I thought you could almost start putting them in here because of the, the huge, huge amount of electricity and electrocution on those awesome, awesome guitar solos and riffs that that uh, Jay Maskus would do, right? Um, also, I just wanted to mention quickly, you know what? I'm going to leave this for next time because this has been a long episode. So I'm going to try remember to put this in a few comments. Well, nah, let's throw it in. What the heck? Uh, comments on the best first songs ever episode. Um, Steve Bellow had mentioned. So this is one where I, I went through, I think this this is just the last episode, right? This is this is, I guess, my custom. We talk about the last episode more than anything. Um, some some other examples of the very very best first song, side one, first album situation where it's all downhill after this. Steve Bellow had mentioned Exodus, Bonded by Blood, Living Color, Cult of Personality. What a perfect choice. He mentioned Live Wire by Motley Crue. Kind of disagree with that. Um, Alexei uh, Slepikov and Kevin Julie uh, disputed my choice of Gypsy, but whatever. I mean, I think Gypsy just kind of entails everything that's cool about Heap. Obviously, they had Easy Living and Lady in Black and all that, blah, blah, blah. Uh, anyways, I stand by that. Paul Hot, Paul Houghton uh, mentioned uh, Blue Cheer Summertime Blues. That's an excellent, excellent choice. Dead Boys Sonic Producer. That's also a great choice. Uh, he mentioned Personality Crisis New York Dolls. Eh, I'm, I'm a little uh, on off. Steve Polari also mentioned that as well. Um, I, I, I could somewhat agree with that. That is more or less uh, their most famous song. Uh, let's see. Uh, maybe um, Over the Wall by Testament, one of their best. Alex Golasol, eh, whatever. Uh, here's a good one. King, King Crimson, 21st Century Schizoid Man. Uh, you know, I'd say that's their most famous song. It's the first song, side one, I believe. Uh, I didn't check these for that. <laughs> no matter how, this is an interesting comment. No, at, no matter how familiar I am with the albums, I automatically think New Rose is the first song on the Damned album. And I was ready to suggest that. Also, Anarchy in the UK and the Sex Pistols album. I, I never really thought that. Same goes for MC5's Kick Out the Jams. That That's a funny one because, uh, you know, there's the Kick Out the Jams, Mothers and Sisters, or the Swear version, right? Um, but no, I, I went back and look and go, oh, it's it's Ramblin' Rose is the first song on Kick Out the Jams, right? Um, but it's funny. You, you do think of that as the first song. Uh, Don Chaldean mentioned Queen of the Right, Queen's Right. Pretty excellent choice. Dave Fisher mentioned uh, Badlands Highwire, also a good choice, but there's uh, other songs that compete. Kevin Julie also mentioned, this is a perfect choice, Lucifer's Friend, Ride the Sky. Um, Reed Little, uh by the way, I uh, was just part of our Contrarians Patreon thing. Thank you for showing up to, for that read. Um, uh, that was really cool. All about live albums for for hour and 20 minutes. All this variety in live albums. You can see that on YouTube. Um, but uh, mention Night Ranger, Don't Tell Me You Love Me. Pretty good choice. Um, Mihai Faruna mentioned uh, Welcome to the Jungle, Guns N' Roses. Pretty good choice. Uh, Martin Olson mentioned Wasp, I Want to Be Somebody. Also pretty good choice. So there's a lot. There's a lot of these bands that uh, it's it's all downhill after this. Or one of our most famous, famous, famous songs of all time is our first song that we ever put up. Okay. Uh, if you like this show and want to support me and future episodes of this, uh, you could go to Kofi, Ko rhymes with no fee, uh, at kofi.com slash martinpopoff 
hit that red support button, buy me a pint. Uh, on that front this week, I want to thank Carlos Abad, Murray Beamish, Andy at Black Sugar Transmission, Bruce Campbell, Tim Durling, David Fisher, Augustin Garcia de Pretty, Steve Polari, Scott Smith, and Carl Isaacson. Um, and uh, you can go to Martin Popoff for all your book needs. The one blowing up right now. This is so weird. I don't know why these are both so selling so well, but I just put back into print after quite a quite a while out of print. The Merciful Fate book uh, into the Coven, uh, Black Funeral into the Coven with Merciful Fate and uh, Unchained, a Van Halen user manual. And both of those are selling like crazy. I would have thought everybody who wanted one of those would have had one. I only made 100 copies of each. I don't think I'm going to do another reprint after this, but um, I am halfway through actually um, both of those reprints, which is really weird. I thought I'd sell kind of 10 of each of them and then they'd kind of, you know, be around for a year and a half or whatever. Um, but anyways, um, yeah, Martin Popoff for all your book needs. Uh, I do promise eventually sometime in the next week or so I should have the Nazareth visual biography and the Yes visual biography as well. Thanks very much. Um, let us know what you think at the uh, at the Facebook page for all of this on these albums recording badly on purpose. And if you have any other examples, as you notice, um, I will mention you by name um, if uh, if there's some good comments uh, on this episode during the next episode, perhaps uh, if I if I uh, get around to that. Um, but yes, I, I like I like fleshing out uh, what I've done with uh, with the whip smart wise music swamis uh, who listen to this thing. So there you go. Bye for now. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at The RNRAP. We are on Instagram at RNR Archaeology. Tweet us at RNR Archaeology. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.